Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Saft Podcast and uh, we are nearing the end of this season and this year and we have some very exciting guest sessions coming up over the next 3 episodes so stay tuned and stay subscribed. Um for this episode I am we are so delighted at Saft and personally as well to bring on a close friend and a ministry partner of mine from the Carpenters Desk. You may know him Asher John, a very up and coming fast growing very popular apologist from South India. but uh, reaching all parts of india now and also the younger brother of the dynamic john brothers uh, from mumbai so asher what a delight to have you on saft podcast it's my pleasure uh, jacob to be on the saft podcast i've been following your work for a long time and we've been friends and very closely associated with uh, especially in ap- apologetics in uh, in kerala so it's such a joy to be on the saft podcast and i'm eagerly looking forward to this conversation absolutely so uh, let's get right into it those of you who have been following us for a while uh, know of the fact that we've been going through the natural theology series and we started off with the kalam cosmological argument which tries to point out that if the universe uh, had a beginning then it must have had a cause something that brought the universe into existence and in the last episode we looked at well what can we understand from the nature of the universe and what does it tell us about the nature of the cause of the universe and we saw that we were able to deduce some very clear characteristics of the cause of the universe that was pointing towards what we commonly understand as god in this episode and uh, i specifically brought in one of the go to experts in this topic and you can we will be dropping the link to asher and ashish ministry the carpenters desk in the description do check them out they got some fantastic videos out there so what ashish is going to help us walk through is he's going to help us walk through with some responses to some of the most common lay person even some questions that are brought up by philosophers but some of the most common questions that is brought up against the kalam cosmological argument we looked at some very weighty tough ones by breaking it down into bite sized portions over the past episodes so do check them out but today we're going to look at some of more bite sized response to these individual questions so ashish here's the first one people might toss in as a response to the premise one which says everything that begins to exist has a cause people might toss in as a response to that premise one saying well quantum mechanics has given some sort of an escape hatch from premise one that you need not face the objections or the the sturdiness of premise one but quantum mechanics has given some sort of an escape hatch what would be your response yeah i think it's quite a fashionable response to uh, to the causal principle so the first premise of the argument as you said anything that begins to exist has a cause that's what we call the causal principle so the first premise even according to uh, philosophers like william lane craig who is the key proponent of the argument is a no brainer right and he generally makes this appeal to intuition to to make that case if i'm not wrong in in the first book uh, that that came out in 1979 that resurrected the kalam cosmological argument back into into the academic discussion uh, craig actually devotes very little to to the very defense of the first first argument because he and you know he uh, appeals to intuition to make this um case for the first premise of the argument so just like if you can think of whatever you see around be it a table or a chair or this phone in my hand anything that begins to exist at time t is equal to 0 must have a cause for its existence but of late uh, the first premise has been subjected to some heavy critiques um and that 
is mainly coming from, as you said, uh, from certain interpretations of quantum mechanics. So of late philosophers mm-hmm. have appealed to what is called, uh, what are called indeterministic models of the Schrodinger equations. So what do I mean by indeterministic? So I think a little bit of um, uh, kind of breaking that down would be helpful. So they allege that at the quantum level, causes are indeterministic, which means that causes don't determine or even necessitate the the effects. Uh, So for example, and this is not an accurate example, so pardon me, but if you think of probability terms, uh, if I'm tossing a coin, right, the outcome of that coin toss is not determined. But don't take that example as it is because... Uh, obviously, if you know the the uh, upper side of the coin while it is being tossed and the force that is being being exerted, all the other environmental factors, everything if that is specified, mm. then you can argue that it's a de- it's a de- it's determined. But in a general sense, that is how probability works. So, right. what uh, generally these philosophers of science or even physicists who argue against the first premise of Kalam would argue is that look, the equations of quantum mechanics have these uh, indeterministic uh, interpretations. And there is one move that they would make, which is a very bold one, quite axiomatically, that these indeterministic interpretations are correct. Now, that is not true. Hmm. Okay, Uh, These very same mathematical equations have both deterministic interpretations as well as indeterministic uh, interpretations, which are equally par when you talk about um, empirical... Hmm. Consistency, they are equally par. So the most common interpretation is obviously the Copenhagen interpretation, which is a probabilistic one, a stochastic process, an indeterministic one. But at the same time, Mm. you have the many worlds interpretations of of quantum mechanics or, uh, you know, the pilot wave theory. So all of these theories are deterministic, which means that the cause can actually determine the the impact. So for the sake of the argument, even before, you know, dwelling into this further, even for the sake of the argument, let's assume that the indeterministic interpretations are right, are correct. Okay. Does Mm. that evade a cause? It does not. Because in the Schrodinger's equations, the indeterministic part only comes with respect to the uh, measurement of the quantity or the, you know, the physical property of the particle that that you're measuring. So uh, you can think of it this way, just like I told about the tossing of a coin in simple terms we can you know uh, give a probability of 0.5 to tails and a 0.5 to heads in the same way the outcome or the you know the outcome of the quantum event are in terms of probabilities it's only when it is measured and that's famously called as the wave function collapse the schrodinger cat uh, you know yeah. illustration that we give right the cat is both dead and alive unless you observe it so that is yeah. the indeterministic part. But the process as a whole, you can still, if, if you if you specify the initial conditions, the process as a whole is still uh, in, in many ways deterministic. That is number one. Number mm-hmm. two, here again, something is not popping out of existence uncaused. As I said, there are probabilities of these outcomes. Every outcome can be assigned a probability, but those probabilities, though the, first of all, the possible outcomes and the probabilities that are assigned to these outcomes are basically, you know, drawn from the both from the behavior of the particle and the interactions within the quantum field. So, in mm-hmm. a sense, it is 
all of these factors, the particle's own behavior, the quantum environment, uh, the interactions with other variables causes the outcome. So it is not uncaused. Okay, so it is not at all accurate. So I think if uh, physicists and philosophers who actually use quantum mechanics uh, to evade the causal principle are actually stretching it out beyond its own, right. uh, what it, it, it actually says. So for example, you can think of people like Lawrence Krauss, who have actually written a mm. book called Universe from Nothing, where that bold and audacious equivocation is being made between what is nothing and a quantum field. A quantum field is not nothing. Again, you have this violent right. quantum fluctuations that are giving birth to these uh, you know, quantum events. One last thing I would mention there that, um, in fact, you know, several key philosophers of science like David Berlinsky, David Albert, and he he's, he's been very vocal on his attack. And these people are on neutral ground when it comes to the theological and metaphysical implications of Big Bang cosmology or quantum co cosmology. Mm -hmm. So uh, and they are, you know, when, when I speak about David Albert, he's a very prominent philosopher of physics. And he says to, to this effect, I can't recall the exact words, but uh, he says that, you know, it is even when you're talking about a quantum field, you're still talking about some physical arrangement of matter. It is not at mm -hmm. all close to what philosophers understand as nothing. So right. all in all, no, quantum mechanics is not an exception. It does not give a counter example to the causal principle. Right, right. And uh, yeah, even even when, when the response are brought up about quantum tunneling and as such, they all uh, fall prey to the to, to, this, to the key objection that you were mentioning in one way or the other. And then there are, uh, what I would say, disadvantages or serious flaws with such formulations of exception to the premise one that quantum tunneling um, examples in their own sense um, stand to fail in. But there's a lot to unpack with when you mentioned about nothing and as such. And we have done that in the previous episodes when we looked at what do we mean by nothing and some of the objections that are brought with the term nothing. But because of the lack of time, we'll just move on. We'll link the videos for you to catch up. Uh, there's another objection that is, this is a very interesting one, right? People say that uh, when you take an, an, a metal axe, right, you've got the wooden handle and you got the metal head of it both the wood and the metal pre-existed. They existed before the axe was ever made. And all that the blacksmith did was to rearrange existing matter. So they say that what we observe within sort of like a daily data or daily experimentation or whatever we do to realize the, real, the, the real world beyond us, what we see is that we just see matter being rearranged in one form or the other. We never see anything coming into existence from absolute nothing. Any object that you make, table, chair, all of that. When you say you created a table, you created a chair, they say that all that you do is rearrange pre-existing matter from one form or the other. So they say that we never see something coming from nothing in our daily experience. And they ask, well, how then can you say that the universe could come from nothing? And so this is a quagmire in, in some form or the other. Um, but in, in a short form, how would you break it down so that our audience can pick up to formulate a response should someone present it to them? Yeah, that is interesting. So, I mean, you can listen to that argument and you can kind of sense that something is wrong with it. But yeah, it's it's mm. it's actually true. So if I take any object around me, it's, it is made of some pre-existing stuff. So just take the example that you said of the axe. So the wood and the metal, they are arranged in one particular fashion and that that's how you have, have the axe. So um, 
this particular objection is basically attacking the first premise right especially the words begin mm-hmm. to exist right anything that begins to exist has a cause and uh, philosophers like william craig and others generally give an inductive argument to arrive at the first premise and there are multiple lines mm-hmm. of arguments that that are given maybe we can delve on some some of um, uh, those going forward but one of the arguments is is this inductive argument where you know what we see around or you know within the universe all of the entities that we are talking about which began to exist have a cause for their existence so the skeptic can then take a step back and say that well but nothing begins to exist right the mm. axe did not begin to exist or i am a fan of cricket right so you know we know yeah. the cricket bat so if i just point to a cricket bat we i mean i don't say it's a willow plank right uh, although mm. it's from the english willow or the kashmiri willow the bat is created but we know it's a it's a cricket bat right so at some right. point that particular whatever was a pre existing stuff uh, was relabeled to be a cricket bat so uh, mm. so that is the key objection here and in philosophy it's called meriological nihilism uh, the view that right. there are no composite um, whole uh, entities and every entity is merely a rearrangement of some pre existing uh, entities or stuff so this particular view as per this particular view nothing is caused into existence so what is happening here firstly even if we subscribe to such a view that nothing really begins to exist and everything is a mere re- re- you know arrangement of stuff notice that mm. at least at the fundamental level because we start started by talking about quantum mechanics uh mm. the virtual particles the most fundamental symbols as even atheist philosophers would call call it they are still you know left to be explained those entities have begun to exist um now at mm. this point i think when you when you think more about it it actually spills over the uh the uh, implication of this view also has to do with the second premise when we say that the universe began to exist yeah. so someone who is a meriological nihilist would have to redefine the universe uh, to mean these fundamental virtual par- particles which alone began to exist everything is then a rearrangement of these particles and you know uh, and and you have such a progression um mm. so at least you have these fundamental particles to explain so you know it's just you, you're still re- redefining universe but the universe still um has uh, you know the universe still begins to exist and still and requires a a causal explanation for its existence that's number one number two i think from our own experience we can actually uh, rebut this particular uh, view which is rather extreme just think about it nothing really exists everything is just re- rearrangement of exist mm. pre existing stuff then i you jacob we all uh, we never began to exist right i began to exist i believe in 1996 when i say i believe i know that i began to exist in 1996 so uh, can i say that well before i began to exist i existed that's a logical contradiction in terms so once you um, take the wheel of this argument and start and you know just to evade the kalam cosmological argument one can use it mm. but when you apply yeah. in theory in practice it does not really make sense and i would strongly refer uh, people who are watching this to the conversation that dr william lane craig had with cosmic skeptic uh, and i think mm, if i remember yeah. correctly dr craig when uh, alex raises this particular view <laughs> dr craig pauses 
and with a smile on his face he says that well this right this as if you know this is the gotcha moment he says uh, right this is the high intellectual price tag of atheism it's a fascinating conversation yeah. so it's an extreme view uh, jacob and um uh, so all in all our own experience would nullify that particular view plus even if you take that everything is a rearrangement of a pre-existing matter you still have to explain at, at least few fundamental simples as well as hmm. your own existence which you know at some point began to exist yeah and and, and on a similar note when the kalam cosmos the premise one says that everything that began to exist has a cause and so even if you say that it is this rearrangement stuff you have to consider the fact that there is some cause rearranging something and some people take the premise one and then immediately go at and say oh you cannot say creation ex nihilo you can't say creation out of nothing what i would say is that the creation out of nothing comes once you sit and evaluate okay if this is the universe what does the universe what do we mean by the universe what is comprising the universe and then we realize oh when we say the universe began to exist matter and space and time began to exist um, for the very first instance then we realize well then it should come out of sheer nothing they couldn't be pre-existing matter because matter began to exist with the universe so i think they they combine the their objection to the creative ex nihilo creation out of nothing with this and says this rearrangement of matter so there is different in addition to the key objections the high hardcore philosophical ones that you mentioned with meteorological nihilism and as such there are more to be connected with and so again to remind the audience what we're doing is we're giving we're trying our best to give you bite-sized response to these lay objections there's a lot to go in but we hope this will help you get on the answering track and i think um, also the now, uh, the distinction yeah. between um, between the efficient cause and the material cause also needs to be stated here yes right so Absolutely. so that that is one of the first thing that we did when we were talking about the kalam we point out when we mean there is no cause you are ruling out both efficient and material cause um and that's again that, that actually to me that distinction is what rebuts this objection flat out from the end, from the from the onset and then like you said saying like we both existed before we began to exist it's it's a quagmire of every single sort it 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 stops people to think it's sort of like zeno's paradox it stops people to think but then once you give it some more thought you realize it's it's like you said like craig said a very high price tag for atheism um there are some more questions but i think i'm going to because of the lack of time going to go into the more crux stuff of it here's one that comes up right and this is very i think we have every person who has ever spoken on the kalam ever read the kalam will obviously have come across this objection the objection is the kalam cosmological argument claims everything has a cause but then you exclude god and so they allege that we are pleading some sort of some sort of speciality for god so the objection is you claim that everything has a cause but then you also claim that god does not have a cause why are you giving an exemption to god asher take it away yeah that's i think the most common objection even if you um type anything on the kalam cosmological argument on youtube and you see the uh, skeptics um, you know the skeptic troll army in the comment section <laughs> they would generally you know still repeat these or parrot these arguments that are defeated and no longer even utilized by atheist philosophers today so um yeah. exactly it's the argument is that or the objection is that it's a spe- it's a special pleading um that we are making in case of god but hmm. it's because you're not you've not really read the argument closely right the premise says everything that begins to exist has a cause right so and the universe began to exist and the conclusion therefore follows 
So the key key right. set of words is begin or began to exist. By definition, hmm. God did not begin to exist, right? Uh, I when when you know the central objection in Dawkins is the God delusion is who created God. But then you are actually setting up a straw man because no one is talking about a created God. No one is defending a created God. So, by definition, God is a transcendent being who is the uncaused first cause, and that is not a retreat that uh, you know Christians made in the face of modern science. It's, it goes back to Aquinas and even before right to Aristotle. He is the first, the unmoved, the first cause, the uncaused cause. So, right there, it within the argument itself. um th- this particular objection is re- rebutted because god does not fall in that category of everything that began to exist number 2 uh both the atheist uh, philosophers by philosophers i mean who are actual philosophers not the folks who are commenting on uh, on youtube Cora. as well as the theists both of them agree that if you acknowledge the metaphysical impossibility mm. of an actual infinite and we can get get to that mm. if, if if we want to there are good arguments to you know arrive at the absurdities that would follow out of um you know uh, actualizing an infinite so if that is the mm. case then the in, the infinite regress should terminate at some point wherever it terminates that is the first cause call it god or not mm. god right that is the first cause so an atheist can claim as some skeptics have done for example graham opi you know could claim that those Uh, or or you know the, the first cause is a natural natural simple that, that there is an option mm. that you can actually do that but then you'll have to do some sort of a conceptual analysis to arrive at is that even possible so i'll keep that for mm. later but in all if you say that the first entity whatever it is is uncaused is the first cause that that needs no theology that needs no uh, you know metaphysical mm. presuppositions it's just out of the argument against an actual infinite or the metaphysical possibility of, of an actual infinite once you arrive at the first cause then it's just a matter of an analyzing that cause and arriving at whatever it is so the fact that the first cause is is uncaused is not even a matter of contention it's there right in the word the first cause so mm. i will actually leave it leave it at that for now unless um you have more to add jacob yeah um the 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 key point where it falters is that it's just the fact that they don't stop to understand premise one it just shows this i don't know if it's willful ignorance or if it's just lazy thinking that they don't put in the effort to understand what the argument is trying to say and then um i mean you're free to have objection you're free to have disagreements with what the theistic side has to put in but i think a deliberate effort has to be made to understand the objections in the best form and i think i i can't recall the name of the philosopher but he was doing sort of like a lecture series on philosophy and stuff and he came across the kalam and um, he botched up the entire premise presentation of the kalam he actually mixed up both the kalam cosmological argument and then leibniz uh, german thinker Leib, german mathematician leibniz contingency argument and made a complete mess out of it but that is one very well trained highly academic philosopher uh i think he was doing a series with some sort of partnership with oxford university or something of that sort uh doing that so it's unfortunate but i think the effort has to be made both from the atheist side to understand theistic arguments better and likewise from the theist to understand the atheist arguments likewise all the more better so 
here's another interesting one moving on right when in the last episode when we talked about understanding the nature of the cause we pointed out saying that okay if you understand what the universe is space time matter the forces of gravity the forces of the natural forces and so on and so forth we said that if you understand this is what the effect is what could be the nature of the cause and we showed that the nature of the cause uh, must be spaceless timeless materialless as in immaterial changeless and so on and so forth so one object that comes up is that oh you have a lot of negative characteristics less 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 spaceless timeless less 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 so you have a lot of negative characteristics so the question is what makes this cause in uh, distinguishable or what makes this cause separate from nothing because you have a lot of negative characteristics what's your take on that asher interesting so i think we can i would rather uh, simply put this because this is one of those areas where a lot of discussions philosophical discussion discussions are still still going on but um mm. when you t- when you uh, as we uh, you know uh, said a moment ago when you're an- analyzing the cause one of the key features of the cause has to be that it is transcending whatever it is causing right the effect cannot mm. be the cause itself so when you think of the universe the universe is space time matter so whatever caused the universe has to be spaceless timeless matterless or immaterial now the the confusion here is what most skeptics have again seen this this objection on the internet is that when you're talking about a spaceless enti- entity you're actually sp- hmm. talking about an entity which is not existing anywhere or when you're talking about hmm. a timeless entity you're talking about an entity which is ex- existing for zero seconds i've you know if if you if you've heard that before so uh, that's not what, right. what what we mean by a timeless or a spaceless and you know you can go on adding the whatever xyz mm. less entity that's what that, that's not what what we mean mean by by these set of attributes what we actually mean is that by time timeless it's not an entity that exists for zero seconds it's an entity that transcends time right, right. so uh, here we are actually falling short of language as well we cannot talk about a mm. causal point uh that that is sans creation because there is no point mm. there is no space so because this entity is transcending whatever we know as space so mm-hmm. a good way to think about it, it is that space time matter exists that's that is what the universe is comprised of but where are where is space time matter itself located that's an interesting question mm. to pon right. pon because there is something beyond space time matter whatever it is okay there is a lot of conversations happening here and and i'll not even step into those territories but for those who are who are interested i would highly recommend reading uh the kalam cosmological argument and the teleological argument re- revisited by andrew loke i think it's the fifth chapter where he uh, the name the name of the chapter itself is what the first cause is and he goes into you know each of these attributes one by one spaceless timeless and so on so by the virtue of what we are defining whatever that causes even if one should argue that okay i don't believe in god something else should have caused the universe you still have to admit and acknowledge that as per the standard model of cosmology quantum mechanics is a murky ground but you take the standard model of mm-hmm. cosmology as it is matter space time began to exist so if that is the case then whatever is transcending that cause cannot be a material cause that's we just spoke about an efficient versus a material cause it has to be a, a cause which is not material which is not mm-hmm. bounded in space which is not bounded with time but had the capacity to to initiate that 
a process to initiate a change. Again, one more mm. uh, attribute I think you already mentioned is changeless. So yeah. in both Loke's God and Ultimate Origins, as well as the one that I just mentioned, Andrew Loke gets into, uh, you know, he uh, kind of adds a few extra corollaries to the Kalam cosmological argument in terms of the uh, changelessness of God and how this, this entity can have the power to prevent change, should have the power to pre- prevent change change as well as hmm. the power to cause change so remember we are not talking about an entity with who is the first change we are talking hmm. about the an entity who is changeless and can cause the first change the first event so hmm. any argument in terms of that you know the big bang caused the universe the big bang is an event it's a change right. so whatever right. exists prior for lack of a better word, prior to Big Bang Hmm. or Sands Big Bang should be able to cause that change or cause that event which would then, you know, cause or give rise to the universe. So all in all, um, whatever we refer to as spaceless, timeless, matterless is basically spaceless, timeless, matterless, but that does not mean nothing. One final word there, when you talk about uh, mathematical entities, let's say numbers, right? Um, mm. Again, it's a hotly contested issue where, yeah. where, where the numbers do exist. But I, I am a mathematical realist, and I believe Jacob, you are one too. So, if you take the uh, take a view that, uh, or you know, and by the way, that particular view can be defended well. So, mm. these entities do exist, right? Mathematical entities, the n- number seven exists. But is it is it uh, in space? Is it in time? Is it material? Mm. No, it's a spaceless, matterless, and uh, you know, timeless entity. So mathematical entities would qualify for that. Plus, there are other arguments that are coming to my mind as well. Again, I would uh, refer, if if you are interested, do do, do read uh, J.P. Moreland's uh, chapter regarding this in, in, in the Philosophical Foundations for a Christian Worldview, where he uh, discusses disembodied existence. So there are there's good, good evidence for, especially from near-death experiences, there's good evidence for entities that exist without... Uh, a body or, you know, without uh, a material reality. So when you have such evidence as well, on the other hand, we can quite say with a fair amount of certainty that an Mm. immaterial existence, which is, again, you can add the parameters of time and space is quite possible. Yeah. And again, when when someone comes up and says, okay, maybe this cause of the universe is, you know, indistinguishable from nothing, right? That's that's sort of like the counter object they're bringing up. They're going to run into the same issues of saying that the universe can come from nothing because it's it's not something that they can hold up to this position, tag it onto the theist, expect them to defend. Because when the counter objection is raised from the theist to the non-theist saying, okay, if you this is if this is what you're saying, if if the the nature of the universe is pointing us towards something of these characteristics, and you are going to try and equivocate that with nothing you're going to run into the same uh, deeply challenging philosophical questions of can something come from nothing. And so it's it's not a really escape hatch. It's just something to try and slow down the presentation of the Kalam, maybe in some sense. But I don't really think it musters up to be, in essence, some sort of uh, a real stoppage point for the Kalam. And like I mentioned, all of these objections keep piling on, piling on, and then you can deliver this final blow. Uh, to our audience, as we come to the conclusion, we just have two more questions, so do stick on. Um, when when Ashra was mentioning about 
the uncreated nature of god right we always have this question okay why is god alone uncreated what is the reason for that and asha was giving out the the metaphysical uh, challenges to having an infinite regression infinite cause and so on and so forth uh, recently we did out uh, a combined work with elvis rights on on instagram and it was a question of why is god alone uncreated and it's a simple breakdown of this question so we've dropped that in the description hope that helps because that is a question that pesters a lot of people all the time why do we say that god is alone uncreated but anyway moving on asher i've got this quote for you and it's by one of the most uh, well articulated uh, critical thinkers of atheism someone who has taken atheism to very great heights or as some others say depths in some sense so his quest his quote is even if we allow the dubious luxury of arbitrarily conjuring up a terminator to an infinite regress and giving it a name there is absolutely no reason to endow that terminator with any of the properties normally ascribed to god omnipotence omniscience goodness creativity of design to say nothing of such human attributes as listening to prayers forgiving sins and reading innermost thoughts and the quote is from richard dawkins the god delusion yes jacob so uh, i think that i partially agree with what dawkins says here if you yeah. if you're applying that to the kalam cosmological argument right yeah if let's say the kalam cosmological argument is the only argument in town then we can obviously grant that not all the attributes of god can or whatever yeah. the yeah whatever is the cause of the universe cannot be conceptually analyzed and drawn from uh, the cosmological argument alone but having yeah. said that at least some of the attributes that emerge out of it mm. so earlier we spoke about you know special pleading right and mm. we spoke in in a general sense but then there are philosophers like alex malpass and so on who would still argue that there is a there is a special pleading that is happening there because you're attributing this cause of matter space and time to a free agent right it's an agent causation that you're granting and within the universe we don't see um entities with which have this agency or this free will mm. actually able to create matter or space or time out of nothing so there is no example in the universe that would suffice so those sort of so i'm just kind of kind of steel manning the uh, the the uh, the the code that you just read those kind of arguments mm-hmm. are there but my point here would be that at least a few uh necessary attributes of the co- cause can be drawn here like mm-hmm. the fact that the, this entity we are already discussed should be spaceless timeless immaterial and so on plus it right. should have the power to initiate a series of right. changes right including the first event so at least two corollaries can be drawn out of the conclusion of 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 the kalam one is that hmm. it is a changeless entity so it it has a hmm. power to prevent change and it can also initiate change and that's exactly what we mean by a libertarian freedom right, right. so this entity has that free will has that freedom plus if it is able to create the universe as we see it then it must be an omnipotent ent- entity it's it's a entity with maximal power uh, right. so that again is um something that can be directly inference now i quoted andrew logs 
Kalam cosmological argument and teleological argument revisited, which is a very powerful case where he combines the cosmological argument with the teleological argument, which means that mm-hmm. if you do a retrospective effect analysis, the effect is the universe. You look at the fine tuning of the universe, the orderly structure of the universe, the beauty, the sheer magnificence of the universe, you can reverse, uh, you know, uh, evaluate and understand Hmm. the intelligibility of this cause. So at Hmm. least these minimal characteristics that we attribute to the Christian idea of God or, or, you know, uh, the idea of monotheism, as we see in the Judeo-Christian view, can be deduced that Hmm. it has, it is a free agent. It has it has maximal power, omnipotence, and it is an intelligent, right, a thinking mind. So at least these minimal characteristics of, of course, the goodness of God that Dawkins mentioned, and a lot of other things. You'll have to look at other arguments mm. like the moral argument, and there are. Yeah. You know, and I think that in your wonderful series, you are actually covering all of these arguments from natural theology. So this is not the args, the only argument in town, but the minimal characteristics mm. that can be drawn out of the argument points to an intelligent, all-powerful creator. Yeah, and and Dawkins' quote, what it betrays is the fact that when he says a bold claim as there is absolutely no reason to endow that Terminator, right, to say that there is no reason or he could have said there is no good reason or there is no strong reason. He said there is no reason. That just betrays his lack of familiarity with what uh, series and sections and subsets of arguments are put forward and the, the work that is done in academia to present and build a robust case in the face of peer pressure uh, in the person in the face of peer review from other brilliant hard thinking atheist philosophers so the the point that we want to convey with this episode by bringing um, asharon to look at these objections is that you need not panic when you hear these objections to the kalam right you may hear it here as sort of like a, a, re- a rephrasing of an objection that we mentioned somewhere but in essence these objects that you may come across are very well familiar with uh, or very well similar to what we have looked at so far. And answers to these right here. You're, you're finding this on the podcast and you will find it there on other sources there, matter out there online and in print form and so on and so forth. Um, now, there is one major objection to look at, which is the question of the relation of time, the nature of time and so on and so forth. But that we're going to look at in the next episode where we're going to bring in another special guest and I'm really looking forward to bring him on. Uh, but that we'll look at in the later episode. But Asher, as we conclude uh, this wonderful discussion on the common objections to the Kala, do you have some sort of words of advice? Uh, you or I, we are both self-taught. In I think in 99% of the time, we are all self-taught. There are instances where we learn from others, but most of the time, we find books, we find resources, we think through, we don't go through any specific curriculum, anything per se. So what is your word of advice to someone who is planning to learn the Kalam or even use it in dialogue? Uh, Interesting question. I think, uh, uh, Jacob, particularly, uh, you would be getting these questions on SAPT as well. And we often get it on the carpenter's desk as well as individually on um, the car, uh, the you know, on Instagram and Facebook, especially after after, uh, we began to speak in the clubhouse platform. A lot of people used to ask this question. How can I get started? There's so much, you know, how can I, st- especially on these particular arguments like Kalam cosmological argument. Mm. Sometimes I'm not even, uh, so, you know, not being able to adequately respond to all of them. But if you are watching this, I think the best place to start is Dr. William Lane Craig's debates. And I'm being mm. very honest. That is because he kind of, when I was back in, let's say, 10th grade, uh, 10th standard or 
maybe 12 standard me and my brother ashish we used to come back home and switch on youtube and and just be watching these debates and you would get at least introduced to these arguments or in in this particular case let's say the kalam cosmological argument if that's what you want to study you will get a fair mm. introduction and then there is a reasonable faith's excellent repository of both blog articles q and a's as well as uh you know animated videos and the um uh defenders series that 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 again is something that i would highly recommend i would also recommend this one this one series that that, that sap is doing because i went through the catalog and there are excellent videos right starting from the ba- the basics of natural theology and building from there so if you are someone who has no clue and you are you, you someone might even i remember i recently suggested someone to start with dr craig's on guard and he found that difficult so that is and i don't really blame a person for that mm. because you know dr craig yeah. after all he is a philosopher and when he is coming down to a layman it sometimes uh, the uh, even the language can get difficult for especially people in this side of the world so i would yeah. strongly recommend you you know start watching content like what jacob and saft is putting out it's a brilliant um you know way to get started in in these arguments and if you want to go deep right there are a lot of books out there on the kalam cosmological argument the one that i would recommend is mm. andrew logs uh, god and ultimate origins because it is more recent and you will get a good review of the uh, bo- you know both the objections the key objections that are raised against the argument as well as um uh, the the defenses for for its premises uh, and mm. on youtube thanks to uh, the time that we are living in there is a lot of material even dr craig himself he's come on on saft as well and several other channels where he's speaking about uh, this particular argument so uh, in all there is no dearth of content uh, and in terms of how to use this argument i think that this is one of the arguments that i very uh, frequently use in conversations uh, with uh, people you know who are who are skeptics the way i usually start the conversation is by talking about infinite and people mm. people generally get excited and these examples that or these illustrations of how an actual infinity is not possible as the potency to ignite that curiosity and that's where you mm. track i yeah. spoke sometime back in the workplace to a person who who said that uh you know she she was an atheist and i just started with the question of infinity and that's the first time she actually thought about it that well if the past is eternal you can't get to the now and i hope that you've already discussed this in uh, mm. the problem of in- infinity in the series and that's a good starting point and from there you can actually build or explain the kalam cosmological argument it's a very powerful argument and if it it is explained neatly it has the power to at least nudge a, a, a skeptic to consider a god's existence obviously the rest has to be done with the help of the holy spirit yeah absolutely and that is a great place to come to a conclusion to this very fascinating and fruitful discussion um and like asha said this is what we are all doing together um carpenter's desk saft apologetics reasonable faith reasons to believe grace cells the ministry that we are um working together with in kerala the desire and passion for all of us that we have is to help you learn these content these topics break it down into simpler terms taking down common or tough objections that are there in social media so that you can effectively share the gospel that you can confidently step up and share to a person hey can i tell you uh, about the gospel 
and uh, so thank you so much for everyone uh, who joined in and uh, thank you ash for joining in as well we will uh, find you and we will catch you in the next episode until then take care and god bless thank you for listening to this episode if you enjoy saft podcast do consider rating us on apple podcasts or podchaser you can connect with us on facebook instagram twitter and youtube and know more about us at www.saftapologetics.com